We'll let you get yours out and we're going to have Kathy's. Mm -hmm. There's only one thing I can't deal with, and that's a, check, a deck of cards glued together. <laughs> the past, the present, and the future walked into a bar. It was tense. <laughs> I see another one. Did you hear about the guy that froze to death at the drive-in? He went to see clothes for the winter. <laughs> You don't get it? Only the people no, that's I been do. to the drive-in. Oh, I the do, drive but... How many paranoids does it take to change a light bulb? Who wants to know? <laughs> <laughs> Alright, Kathy, finish us oh, off. Alright. There was a, a Mexican magician, and he was going to do a trick. And so he gets it all ready, and then he says, Uno, dos, poof, he disappeared without a trace. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, She's like, oh my god, that's, <laughs> that's funny. There you go. Oh, oh goodness. All right, so uh, we're gonna. I wanted to just give you guys some examples because you could probably spend your entire lifetime looking up every instance where the word good or goodness is used in reference to God's goodness toward us. So I picked a, a couple or three maybe psalms and we're just going to break down some of the words and give you guys some principles uh, on the goodness of God in those and then y'all can just continue your own journey as you see fit but after us going through the kings there was no way I was going to spend the next 10 years us going through the goodness of God and uh, so we're going to start with Psalm 4 we're going to read it in its entirety and then we'll break down some specific things out of uh, it looks like verse well I'm, I might have done all of them but it's verse uh, 1 but we'll just uh, dive in here so now this is a psalm of David written by him. It is for stringed instruments. And it says, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? And how long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly, and the Lord will hear when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Now I thought that's interesting because that's in Ephesians. Offer the sacrifice of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. I will both lie down in peace and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So I liked this one because you can tell that David is living in the tension of some people are after him, people are lying about him, people are saying things are unjust, and he is reminding himself, number one, that he's righteous because of God, which is interesting because that was pre-Jesus. So he had to have a revelation of a righteousness that comes only from God. So I think that's very interesting. But also, 
where it says, and I just want to point this out before we dive into the meaning of the words, be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. The meditating is meditating upon Him. That's a response to anger. Also, in those times, you do have to offer the sacrifice of righteousness. Meaning you're not going to become unrighteous with your words or with your actions when you're angry. So I thought that was really good. And it's also a trusting in the Lord to be your defense. So I just kind of wanted to point that out uh, real quick uh, you know, to add a little bit more to the Ephesians. Now, we're going to look at the goodness of the Lord in a second. But the word hear, so hear me when I call, means to respond, to answer, to reply, but also to testify. And there's a testimony that God has about you. And that testimony is heaven's mindset and the identity that heaven has assigned to you. And uh, so in the dictionary, the word testify means a solemn declaration accepted instead of a statement under oath. So he decrees over us. And like you were just saying, we need to hear what he is decreeing over us in this particular season of our life and then come into agreement with it. Isn't that interesting? And then the word call is to call, to declare, to summon, to invite, and to be named. So what I like about that definition is it shows us the different ways that we can call upon Him. Sometimes we need to declare His goodness, declare His activity and His promise and His decree over our lives. Other times we invite Him in to be with us or we say the name of Jesus, the name that's above every name. In fact, Jesus is even above the name Yahweh, right? So we've got to uh, you know, consider these different ways that we can declare His word, we can invite Him, we can speak forth His name. And then the word summon, I thought that was interesting because it felt kind of weird like thinking, you know, summoning God. You know, like you're giving Him a summons to show up. I mean, I know that we can you know, make a demand on the promises of God, but the word summon originally means to remind. Now, it's not that God forgets. You know, the reminding is actually more for ourselves than it is uh, for Him. I thought it was interesting in the Passion, it says, you know, answer me when I cry for help. And it said, whenever I was in distress, you enlarged me. And then that word means you created room for me. Oh, that's good. I need to pray this one over uh, me and Ken's inheritance. That way no one can take it. Um, that's very good. Enlarge us. Now, where he calls him God of righteousness, it's Elohim Sadiq. Is that how you say it? Uh, I've heard a lot of people use that word, but I can't remember. Righteousness means a right relation, uh, relation to an ethical or legal standard. So kings judges and leaders if they were to execute their duties based on righteous standards which David was doing so the psalmist is recognizing that God is the source of righteousness that he is his righteousness revealing he has a revelation of that that wouldn't be uncovered until the Lord came and like you said in the passion so you've relieved me in my distress and the word relief means to enlarge to extend to open wide 
that's the opposite of the word distress. So anytime any of us have been in any type of distress, you feel constricted. Things are narrow, right? And even you don't have a lot of room when it comes to your mental state or your emotional state. You have to really guard it and protect it within the confines of the word. And so that's exactly what distress means. It's a tightness, uh, at misery even, a narrow space and not wide. So it's in a figurative sense, it's a person's pain, oppression, or feeling hemmed in on all, all sides. So the, the psalmist is saying, God took me out of the narrow and placed me in a wide area of strength, enlargement, and relief. Now that tells you the end result of any difficulty or distress you're going through should be enlarging. There should be an enlargement of your life. You should come out walking in more of the promises of God. Your soul should be enlarged to carry more joy. Uh, all your circumstances should come out even better than when you first entered into that narrow place. Because it's in the narrow place where you make a decision to trust in the goodness of God or to believe the voice of the enemy. That's the purpose of it. So also... When the Lord is blessing a time of uh, narrowness, the whole purpose of it is so that you come out with a testimony, so that you come out enlarged in a, a more of a capacity for joy. And as we learn in James, patience will have its perfect work. So it's a proving of your character and a proving of your trust in the Lord. The enemy does it to cause you to fall. So we don't want to give the enemy any, you know, room to have a testimony over us, right? Now, have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Uh, here the psalmist is putting a direct request on the favor of God. He's asking him to display gracious acts toward him. But I like the word for hear. This word means to hear with understanding. So, I mean, I if you have a busy mind, you can relate to this. You'll ask a question. And then they'll answer you. <laughs> Later you're like, what did you say? Because <laughs> your mind is so busy that it's not actually hearing with understanding, right? So there's a difference between listening and hearing. And for me, hearing with understanding is you're taking in what's not being said. You're taking in the response. You're reading between or hearing between the lines. But it's also the one that's used in hear, O Israel. Okay, so he's, he's, he, basically the psalmist is requesting, now this is crazy, because when you have the word hear, it also means to hear with the mindset of obeying, right? So the psalmist is obviously not requesting that God be obedient to him. You know, that would be silly. But he is asking him to listen with understanding to his plea. So that's a type of prayer here where you, you have to have God intervene or you're going to be in big time trouble. It's also uh, the idea for God not to be deaf to his weeping, but to take heed to the turmoil his servant uh, was in. Now, you don't use weeping and manipulation to get God to respond. You don't need to do that. But it is where it's like this is the distress I'm feeling and I ask for you to intervene on my behalf. Now, what's making him mad or distressed and upset is how long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? 
So the, uh, there, the word shame means embarrassing. And then, of course, glory is honor, uh, majesty, and wealth. So something embarrassing was being said about David. And they were also lying. They were loving worthlessness and seeking falsehood. Now, this is interesting because worthlessness, that was one of the words that were used, was used for the sons of Belial. <clears throat> so these were pagans that were going after David. And uh, the word worthless is emptiness, vanity, a delusion. It stands for an imagined plot or plan that is a delusion. So in other words, these men love delusion. Now, does that sound familiar? where we can't decide what a female is or what a male is. Recession is no longer, you know, what uh, they're saying it is. I mean, every word is being diluted into a deception, and they think we're that stupid. Now, some people are. I don't know if y'all saw the post on Facebook that I shared. I believe Darina shared it, of the farmer, you know, farming. And the girl said, you know, well, we can just go to Kroger and get soy soybeans and oil or corn. You know, and it's like, so it's those times when I see things like that, I'm like, can America be saved, right? Can America be saved? But there's more of us than there is them. Now, uh, these men love delusion. They sought out falsehood, which means obtain. And falsehood is a lie, a deception, a non-truth that's unequivocally presented as ant antithetical to God. So this means that instead of these people seeking truth, they were seeking lies and deceptions. Anything that was contrary to God, we saw the best example of this in what they did to Jesus. They shamed him, they embarrassed him, they went after his reputation, and they also sought out false witnesses, which was against the, the law. So the law experts went and found false witnesses, which, by the way, if we remember from our study, is what drew the line in the sand for Jezebel. And that is what ended up in her being eaten by dogs. And sure enough, Caiaphas was crucified upside down, I believe. Uh, Annas, the high priest, was filleted alive. So that was their red line right there. So God doesn't like liars under oath at all. Uh, so, um, and again, we can see the same thing happening today. Now, the next part that the Lord has set apart for himself, those who are godly and the Lord will hear, uh, it means, uh, but no. The word no means to know, learn, perceive, discern, and consider. So David is saying that these men would do well to know and discern that Yahweh has separated for himself a godly man, a man that he listens and understands when he calls out to him. The word godly, which I thought was interesting, means kind, benevolent, merciful, and pious. It carries the idea of faithful kindness and piety that springs from mercy. It also refers, and this is my favorite definition, to those who reflect the character of God in their actions and personality. So that, to me, is really neat. Because like godly, you would think, you know, they're not sinning or they're following the law and things like that. But even in the New Testament, by the way, godly doesn't mean that. Uh, godly has the same idea of a virtue and a piety toward God. And piety, if I'm not mistaken, I stated it years ago, but it's where you're committed. You're in a committed relationship with the Lord. And so your life and everything about it is seeking Him. Uh, let's see. 
The word denotes those who share a personal relationship with the Lord, the state of one who fully trusts Him, and then those who manifest the goodness or mercy of God in their conduct. They're examples and mediators of His goodness and His faithfulness. Now, it's interesting because David could have said, Know this, you wicked, evil men. I'm God's kid. You better not mess with me or He's going to come after you. But no, his response was, I am going to display the goodness and the faithfulness of God even to those that are seeking falsehood and are deceptive. So you can imagine this section right here really, I mean, when you consider all the nonsense that's going on in government, I'm like, okay, this is like a prescription for people that have a high justice core value to all the nonsense and the stupid stuff that's going on uh, in our politics today. All right. Be angry and do not sin. The word anger is a level of anger that causes you to shake, to tremble, to agitate, to disturb, to rage, and to provoke. Now, sin, of course, is to miss the uh, mark or to lead into sin. But it also indicates failure to do what is expected. So, now, that's important because that takes us over into, I believe, either Romans or 1 Corinthians, where if it's a sin to them, then it's a sin. You know, so eating meat that was sacrificed to idols, if you bless it, it doesn't matter. But for those that are weaker in their faith, if they eat it, it's a sin. That's what this is talking about. So if you put an expectation on yourself and then you violate that expectation, for you it's a sin. So that's why it's so important to make sure that the expectation you're putting on yourself is actually one that is in the Word, right? But on the other side of that, if someone believes that something is sin and you know it's not, you don't then use your freedom to cause them to feel bad or to feel shame or sin. Instead, you adapt yourself to them. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think sometimes we get a word from God and then we just kind of turn our back or, you know, um, explanation of it away. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe it wasn't God, maybe this, maybe yeah. that. And we don't act on the word we have, and I think that's probably that's good it right too. There. Yeah, because that is missing the mark. If he gives you a prophetic word, and you're not walking in that word, or at least contending for it, then it is missing the mark. That's good. That's really good. And another side note is, don't put your expectations that God has put on you on other people. I remember years ago, a lady felt like you know watching TV was a sin. And I'm like, well, that may be a sin for you, and I'm not sure why, but it's not a sin for me. So I'm going to have a TV. In fact, I'm going to have two. <laughs> you know, so you got to be careful because a lot of times we think, well, my expectations should be your, yours, and that's actually pride. I mean, it's ridiculous. And a religious spirit. Okay, now in Ephesians 4.26, you know, where Paul quoted this verse, the idea behind the Greek used for be angry is an intense wrath that needs revenge. Okay? So David was experiencing that on the inside. Okay? He wanted to have revenge, but he didn't want that to cause him to fail to do what God expected of him. So his job, even though he probably just wanted to kill everybody that was, you know, attacking him, his job was to pray and reflect the nature of God, His faithful kindness, the state of fully trusting Him, and manifesting His goodness and His mercy. That was His job. Uh, and so, again, if you have a high justice value, that needs to be your first response. Now, it doesn't mean 
that you can't be a voice against injustice. It just means that to do that out of intense anger in a vengeful state is not God's will. The word meditate is vocal and inner speech. Okay, So t sometimes you just have to say, not today, devil. Right? <laughs> sometimes you have to say, no, I am not going to think that. That is a lie. You know, or whatever it is. Sometimes you have to speak out loud. But also, your inner speech needs to align with what the Word says. So, the inner speech, the reason that's important is that's what is in your heart. The heart is the heart, mind, and inner person. It's a word used to describe the fact that God discerns the entire disposition of the inner person. This is why the Amplified says, Be angry or stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own hearts upon your beds and be silent. Sorry for the things you say in your hearts. Pause and calmly think of that. Because <laughs> I sometimes have some thoughts. <laughs> so be still has the idea you're calming yourself. There's an absence of emotional distress and churning and you're able to quiet and relax. Once you do that, you can then think of your response uh, to an injustice. Now, although I do think the Amplified is correct, I also think there is the idea of beholding Jesus. You know what I mean? Uh, thinking of Him, thinking how He would respond. One thing that I taught years ago when I would teach on offense was that the Lord never violated or offended people based on personal freedom. He never did that. He would offend, though, based on truth. Okay, so like I was telling you guys Friday, you know, uh, does a, have you ever heard of a commander that goes out to battle without having a plan to win? You know, that was a direct dig at Antipas. So he would say things that would get under, you know, the chinks, get under the armor of people. He did have political speech. But everything he said is what he heard Holy Spirit say. So it didn't come from a place of unrighteousness or unrighteous anger. It came from a place of Holy Spirit saying it. Well, in truth, offends. Yes, it does. I mean, I don't know that he said it to offend. Yeah. But just the fact that it was truth yep. offended people. Well, and even like, um, I, it might have been Tiberius. I can't remember. No, it was Herod. It might have been Herod Antipas, actually, where it says, uh, did you expect to see some reed blowing in the wind? And the word reed was uh, a direct hit again on him because his symbol on coins was reed. So over and over he would say stuff, but like you said, it's not uh, to offend, it's truth. He's like, I'm not a reed. I'm not going to go with the sway of the people here. I'm not political. I'm going to tell you the truth. A great example of this, I can just picture Peter's face, which by the way, they found Peter's house in Capernaum. The story where um, they dug up the thatch to let the paralyzed, that was Peter's house. And it's on an intersection of a, like a north and south, east, west road. And there was, sure enough, a huge courtyard. He was actually probably pretty darn wealthy. And there was a courtyard, and, and then that street, they would align them up on the streets. And it later became one of the first house churches. And later they built a church on top of it. They converted it to a church building. Um, but <laughs> Peter gets asked, 
do you guys pay temple taxes? Of course. Yeah. They run to Jesus, do we pay temple taxes? <laughs> and so the Lord's like, well, I don't know. You're, he's, he's messing with them a little bit. I mean, you know, should the son that owns a house pay taxes to his own house? house I bet Peter's like, oh, no. Because you never knew what Jesus was going to do, right? He's like, well, so as to not offend them. So here we have, he's like, you know, this is not something that I need to do to stir up even more trouble, right? So let's go ahead and pay our taxes even though I own the house, you know. And I could just picture Peter like, oh, no, his stomach dropping. Okay, now offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord means that your actions will be right and just, uh, which will be as a sacrifice, especially when you'd rather punch someone in the face, right? <laughs> you would rather let them know what you think of them. Uh, now, the ability to offer such a sacrifice is sourced in you trusting God. That's really important because we have to trust ourselves to the one to whom vengeance is repaid, right? He's the one that will handle that. But that does not mean that you're supposed to be a punching bag for someone to abuse you or that you cannot speak out against political injustice. That's not what that's talking about. But it does mean whether you say something or don't say something, you do it sourced from a trust in the Lord to have your back, okay? So I like to say that because it's really important. Um, the ability to offer such a source or such sacrifice is sourcing your trust, which means that you have a feeling of safety and security that is felt when you can rely on someone or something else. In addition, this expression can also relate to the state of being confident, secure, and without fear. Isn't that good? In Romans 12, 17 through 21, it says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do, give thought to to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That actually, that principle turned gossip, uh, gossip that was being said about me around. Um, there was a situation where, uh, and Roberta is very familiar with it, where I was being uh, talked about. And I had, I think we had just launched healing rooms. And there were some people that were going to help with the healing rooms uh, from Brutalis. And then I was gossiped about. <laughs> And all of a sudden, they were like, oh, no, we can't, you know, she's a harlot, she's a this, she's a that, blah, blah. Well, anyway, <clears throat> I was part uh, at, uh, Aztec Abstract and Title. I get a phone call from the lady who had the home group that she was a part of where I was spoken about. And it was a trusted source as well uh, that had said that. And uh, so she told me, I said, okay, thank you. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, well... That sucks. And I said, well, Lord, there's really nothing I can do about it. You told me to be quiet. You said you'll be the lifter of my head in honor. I'm not going to worry about it. Well, anyway, fast forward. I don't know how long it was. It might have been a few weeks or a year or so. I don't know. I was working at the Master's Books and Gifts. And the lady who had spoken about me came in. And I had no guile. There was no malice in me. And she could only check out with me. And so 
I said, you know, how are you doing? You know, heard that her daughter had had a baby. How are her and the baby doing, you know? And she said, well, she's had some issues. And she described the specific issues. I said, oh, I was just reading about some essential oils that will help with that. Because she was like basically bedridden. I said, let me get you some samples. I'll make a card and I'll bring it tomorrow. And you come in and we'll get her fixed up. And she's looking at me and she said, okay, thank you. And I said, sure. And uh, so then I get a call from the same lady that called me about the, the gossip. And she said, I wanted you. I, she said, I don't know what happened. And I never told her. She said, but she came back the next week and said she was wrong about you and apologized for gossiping. And I just wanted you to know that. And I said, thank you very much. That is this. Now, that wasn't anything in me. Mike can tell you, you know, actually, if you go after our kids or Mike, I, I probably, I might still box. Hopefully I've grown as a person. But you know, for me, it's not as bad, but at that time, I definitely could have been one without the power of the Holy Spirit to let them know what I thought about it, right? And it really kind of depended on the day. <laughs> Some days it's like, Lord, I pray I do not see this person at Walmart because if I do, I'm going to let them have it. You know, like that's how I was before I leave the house. <laughs> All right, now the next part is there are many who say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. Good is the same word we've been studying. When things are tough, you can begin to wonder if you'll ever experience God's goodness again. I remember when I was sick, that's how I felt. I was like, am I ever going to feel good? Am I ever going to be able to go out and enjoy the sun and enjoy time with my friends? I mean, it was so hopeless during that time. But David's prayer, and this is a key to the goodness of God, was for him to lift the light of his countenance to shine upon the people of God. The word countenance means a face. Most of the time, in a figurative sense, it means the entire person, or it can be a reflection of the person's mood or attitude. So God is clothed in light. That's a manifestation of His splendor. Light is always a positive symbol of good fortune, victory, justice, righteousness, guidance, deliverance, etc. So the light of one's face expresses the favor. It's a turning of a person toward that person with the idea of doing something good for them okay it's God's good mood shining on you by the way he's very happy okay so it's his happiness impacting you uh, he wants to share all of those good things with us so to be godly is to share his character meaning that intense wrath outside the scope of his timing for it is not a reflection of his character so that's what he's talking about. There are times when he wants to show his favor. That's not a time to show his wrath. There's other times where he's like, that's it. I'm going to handle this. And even then you're like, no, Lord, because you said this, this, and this. So if you do that, it'll actually make you look like you're not a good God. And then other times we have to come into agreement with his wrath and actually pray it in. But here's the deal. We've done this before. You don't want to have any anger in your heart toward that person, okay, or any unforgiveness, because if you release that judgment against them and you have that, it will actually come back on you, according to Matthew chapter 18. So you want to be really careful, but know that he's very slow to anger, which we're often not, and that's why we have to make sure that we're not expressing anger when he is not. 
okay? And then, of course, we'll have the day of the Lord, which is when his full entire wrath will be poured out, which is unimaginable. No one's going to be able to figure that out until we see it. So he uh, will release judgments meant to turn hearts back to him, of which we must long for and agree with. But any agreement and execution of his judgments must not be from anger or vengeance or to reflect his faithfulness, kindness, and goodness. All right. You've put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increase. The word put means that God has placed something in the psalmist and it's gladness. Gladness is joy, rejoicing, gladness, and pleasure. It refers to the reality, the experience, and manifestation of joy and gladness and the celebration of something with joy and cheerful activities. So where we might feel anger, he wants to put gladness in you. Isn't that good? You know, and listen to the people around you. When, uh, you know, Mike's been working really hard on Dad's house, and uh, you know, I didn't want him to, you know, he just, he works. That's what he does. I, I want to be helpful. You know? So I go there that night and, uh, you know, start going through some things and stuff. And, um, and then I, I find, you know, the cat dad. You know, my dad's cat ran over. And... Mike said something. He said, there, there's tragedy here. Maybe you need to stay away for a bit. Listen to those voices. Because I could hear Holy Spirit on it. And I'm like, you know what? I think you're right. I think that's what I need to do. So I was very intentional on working. I would work. And then Mike would go work, and I kind of feel bad. You know, and I'm like, no, he's, you know, that's what he said. You know? So I'd hang a picture here do something fun, you know, here. And I, w I was doing self-care. It did a world of difference. Guys, when I saw that, I just broke down, didn't I? And I'm like, I don't know if I can take much more of this, you know. And that that's rare for me to say. And uh, so when you're in those times where you're overwhelmed, there will be someone around you to tell you, you need to get away from this and do self-care. There's nothing wrong with that. Mike's got big shoulders, you know. He's my helpmate, and so I just trusted his word. So do that for those that you trust in your life. Now, uh, the, the increased grain and the feasting that comes with harvest, that's kind of the idea that uh, David had. But here's the thing. It wasn't any external factor that was going to make David happy in the midst of this trial. It was only going to be God. So he's basically saying, please put your gladness in me to replace the anger that I'm feeling. And as he meditated on God, that was placed with joy, replaced with joy. Okay? Now, peace and sleep. He was able to be tranquil and sleep without fear. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. The word dwell means to sit, to dwell, to inhabit, to endure, and to stay. Safety is security or calm assurance. We must make his calm assurance our home. And sometimes you have to fight that, especially if you were raised with a lot of fear and uncertainty. That can be something you have to work through. It doesn't matter what lies or delusions man is chasing after our home is his truth, security, and calm assurance that God always has the last word. Always. He knows uh, what is uh, his response to raging nations. He laughs at them, guys. He laughs at them. Okay? He mocks them. 
He knows all men will answer or all men will answer for their deeds, but right now is the time of Jesus and his grace. The goodness of God was reflected in sending the answer to sin and lies, and that was Jesus. Justice demanded an answer, and God's response was his son. At the end of the age, or as the end of the age approaches and sin matures, the saints' cries will shift due to persecution, and suddenly the day of wrath will be upon them. So that psalm was so rich, and I feel it was very applicable to our time. So I really wanted to, you know, to digest that one and have those notes for you so that you could go back, because I plan actually on going back to this psalm a lot. Um, but I wanted to read just two verses of 16, which is one of my favorite uh, psalms, and it tells you how to be in the presence of the Lord. That's why I like it so much. But in verses 1 through 2, it says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, You are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. Okay, now the instruction for this psalm was to be played with, uh, played with string instruments as well. That's what mictum means, if you look in the title. Uh, now, preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. Here we go to trust again. Do you all see that trust and goodness are related? See, that's, that's important to... Uh, recognize. The word preserve means to watch carefully over, to care for, to guard, and to keep. It's the exact word of Adam's role in keeping the garden. Okay? The idea is of protecting, implying some type of danger or enemy, which we know was the serpent, right? So he had to protect and keep the garden safe. Put my trust is a verb that means to seek and to take refuge. It's used literally in ref reference to seeking a tree's, tree's shade or, in this reference, coming under his wings. In the Passion, it says, I run for dear life to you, my safe place. I like that. The Passion is so good. Yes. Man. Okay, so... Uh, the New King James translation is, Watch over me carefully, God, because I place myself under your wings. So this is like the little chickies. You know, the mama hen will bring all her little chickies underneath her when it rains. Now the next one, oh my soul, that phrase was not in the original text, but it was added for clarification. That's why it's in italics. But what I like about this is sometimes you have to talk to your soul. You have to tell your soul to submit to the Spirit, to submit to the Word of God, right? To submit to the prophetic Word. So the soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. And if it's ever gotten out of hand with fear and heaviness and anger, you know that you have to talk to it. So he's saying that his soul, uh, so here the psalmist is saying that his soul, to Yahweh, you are my Adonai. So Yahweh is the proper name of God, uh, but Adonai is used exclusively of God, and it literally means my Lord. It was often used in place of the divine name Yahweh. So what David is doing is he's not, he's not using it in, t in place of Yahweh. He's saying Yahweh is my Lord. Now, Adonai is from the word Adon, which means Lord or Master, and it carries the nuances of authority rather than ownership. When use of divinity, it frequently occurs with Yahweh signifying his sovereignty. <coughs> now this is important because he's saying no matter what anybody is doing to me, whatever is causing my soul to act up, God 
is sovereign. He's the one that is over me. He's my authority. I put my trust in Him. Therefore, the final decision is with Him and He is preserving and watching over me. Now, this is not the idea of sovereign that people mistakenly have, that God is in control, and if there was a God, then none of the bad stuff would happen. We've already talked about that. But it is that God is in charge. And when you place yourself under His rule and His authority, you are in the safest place you can be. And it is a guarantee that whatever trial you're going through will work itself out so good that you will stand in awe by the time it's over. Okay? So basically he's saying, soul, Yahweh is your trusted sovereign authority. Now the goodness is the same word we've seen already, okay? So I'm not going to uh, say that again. But God released his goodness into creation and declared man as very good. So any goodness we possess or experience cannot be apart from him because he is the source of that. So the translation would be, you are the source of all goodness in my life. And then the final one is Psalm 21. And we're uh, going to read verses 1 through 4. The king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation how greatly shall he rejoice. You have given him his heart's desire, and you have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with the blessings of goodness. You set a crown of pure gold upon his head. He asked life from you, and you gave it to him. Length of days, forever and ever. Okay. So the king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord. So again, the source of joy is his strength, not our own. King is anyone with power and authority. Therefore, our joy is sourced in his strength, and that takes the load off. Joy is to be joyful, to be glad, and to gloat. So... I like to picture that, that you're like nanny, nanny, boo, boo to the enemy, right? It's like the goodness of God is so around you that it's like a, a, a gloating uh, in, in his face. And it, they, some think it's the, um, a praise song to Jesus. And because of that relationship, it says, you know, because of your strength, the king is strong. Uh, David and, knew Jesus probably more than most Christians do today. I mean, he knew him prophetically. He saw the king before the king ever came, right? So it's, and he patterned his king, you know, rule after the Lord's. And we know that because Jesus sits on his throne. So he established Jesus' throne. I mean, it's, it's crazy. You know, I'm just going to interject that here, is that a lot of Christians that don't really feel like God loves them. Right. But if he loves Jesus, and we have Jesus in us, he has to it's love. It's impossible, he yes. He has to love the Jesus in us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whether our actions have, are worth a crap, let's just put it that way. You know, if we have Jesus, and we know Jesus, then he loves us because of Jesus. Yeah. And he loves us the same amount he loves Jesus. Exactly. That's in Galatians, I think, in the Passion. Right. Uh, and the Weiss brings that out, too. Um and not only that, I was telling a young man, I said, you know, the thing is, is that with the Lord, like, you know, it's a religious idea uh, that people don't realize, where they, you know, John the Baptist said, I must decrease so that he must increase. A lot of people think that means that we have to decrease so Jesus can increase in us. No, he gave us his nature. 
What that means is He will continue to increase on the inside of us and He will enhance who we are. We don't stop being who we are. We don't, you know, we don't have to do any of that. The things that are in our souls that need to be dealt with begin to be transformed, but our personality will stay the same. How we see life and how we communicate, all of those things will just be enhanced and made better. So He doesn't want you to disappear. He wants Him to be clothed by you, I guess, something you would say. Okay, the word strength is Oz. It refers to strength and power. The Lord is one strength and the power by which God led His people. The power or strength of a people, a nation, internal fortitude, and the defense. It's shown in God by Him delivering by the arm of His might His strong arm. So the Lord is Yahweh, the ever-present existent one. Now this again, like you were saying, that He's seeing Jesus in your salvation, how greatly shall He rejoice. I mean, that is... That's incredible, actually, because the word salvation is salvation, deliverance, help, victory, and prosperity. The exact same thing that is in the Greek definition, sozo, it's also to rescue from distress or danger. The word rejoice is a response of persons both religiously as when they divide the spoils of the Lord's victories. Again, when you come out of distress, you should have a lot of spoil. Okay, that happened all the time. Remember the, the lepers are like, well, you know, I mean, we can either die here from starvation or just go into the enemy's camp and die there. But maybe they'll feed us first. And they go and they discover they've killed themselves and ran off. And they start collecting all the spoil, right? And they're like, well, we can't do that. We need to tell everybody else. Even though they were lepers and probably ostracized, they went back and told all the people that the enemy had vanquished themselves. You have to come out of trials with mental, emotional, and even physical and material spoils. That is God's will 100% of the time. You have given him his heart's desire. The word desire is delight, bounty, and craving. It indicates something that is attractive and delightful to the eyes. Food that is choice, dainty, and favored. Longings of a person's heart, its cravings, or the longings of a humble person. Proverbs 10.24 states that the righteous will have their desire realized. And when that happens, it invigorates a person. God wants to grant us our desires. He wants you to have food you actually like to eat. Now, where the problem can be is where it becomes your God. Right? So that's why there are disciplines you can exercise to keep you from not holding on to the things he delights you with too tightly. But he doesn't want you eating slop. I don't care what anybody says. He wants you to enjoy life and the things that are around you, but don't let them get a hold on you. In John 15, the least, it says, If you maintain a living communion with me and my words are at home in you, I command you to ask at once something for yourself, whatever your heart's heart desires, and it will become yours. In this my Father is glorified, namely, that you are bearing much fruit. So shall you become my disciples. So the Lord is glorified when desire is fulfilled in your life, not just the religious idea of getting your needs met. Now, it is true that one of the des uh, meanings of desire is greed, but we're not to be greedy for things or experiences outside the goodness of God.
but he wants to delight us like any good parent. Now withheld the request of his lips. Request again means desire. Do you think he's trying to tell us something? Okay. It describes the desire of the king to know the Lord both through the Lord's blessing and gift of life. Like here. He wants us to have a blessed life full of the desires and requests of our lips. But also we must understand again that persecution is a given if you're serving Jesus. Paul learned that when he engaged in the marketplace and became relevant to that sphere, persecution severely diminished, allowing him to do the work he was called to do. He did die as a martyr, but he had already fulfilled his call. So don't chalk things up to persecution, too, if you're being dumb. <laughs> Sometimes we just get, you know, the response of our stupidity. <laughs> now, for you meet uh, him with the blessings of goodness, the word meet means to come before, to meet, and confront. God wants to confront us with the blessings of his goodness. A lot of times that's why you can be a stinker and then he is good to you and you're like, I didn't deserve that. He's confronting your lie that you're believing that caused that behavior with his goodness. He's saying that's not who you are. This is who you are. And he blesses you with something that you don't deserve, right? Confront can also be hostile, you know. But it carries the sense of getting in someone's face. God wants to overwhelm you with his blessings of goodness right in your face so that you cannot miss them and you cannot get away from them. That's how much he wants to bless us with his goodness. But as we've already learned, he's also fine rejoicing in our destruction if we continue to rebel so he can save us from hell. The word blessing is, quote, one of good favor bestowed on another, and goodness is the same word we've already studied. Now, in the Hebrew, good means to be pleasing and to do good. And then in Genesis 43, 28, it means peace and tranquility. God loves goodness, and when his priests sang of it, the glory flooded them. So in 1 Chronicles 16, 23, it says, Sing to the Lord all the earth, which we've just been dissecting songs, right? Sing to the Lord all the earth, proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day, 2 Chronicles 5, 13-14, Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice, the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, and his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with the cloud, so that the priests could not continue ministering because the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. I believe when the people of God learn that they house the glory, they begin to operate in unity, and the goodness of God is finally celebrated, we're going to see the end of the age. Okay? We're going to see it. But he's got to have a people that are of the fullness of the stature of Christ. And that's how it happens. John 17 was his prayer, and it will be answered. Whether we are the answer to it or the opposition to it, it's going to be answered. So we want to make sure that we're in agreement. And so I'm going to read you um, a few uh, verses uh, quickly on how the goodness of God is a requirement. It is not optional in the Christian's life. So the first three are in Ezra 7, 8 through 10, and then 8, 17 through 18, and then 22 through 23. Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. On the first day of the first month, he began his journey from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem according to the 
good hand of his God upon him. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. And then the next one, I gave him a command for Ido, the chief man, at the place of Kesaphia, and I told them what they should do to Ido and his brethren, that they should bring us servants uh, for the house of our God. Then, by the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding of the sons of Mali, the sons of Levi, the son of Israel, namely Sherebiah with his sons and brothers. For I was ashamed to request the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road, because we had spoken to the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek them, but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and entreated our God for this, and he answered our prayer. So see how the goodness of God is for protection. And I okay? thought it was interesting that he's... That Ezra had prepared his heart. Yes. Which tells us that we have a participation in this. Yes. Not just recognition, because it's easy to recognize God's good. Yeah. We can say it. Yeah, he is good. But it says that Ezra prepared his heart. Yes. And so there's something required of us, and that is to get our heart tender to receive it. Yeah, and to be uh, aware of when he's being good, too, yes. because sometimes people don't see it. And like, you know, when Kent and Chrissy, they were moving to the armpit of the nation. Um, I, was, I, you know, well, they found a serial killer not long after they, you know, moved there. I mean, there was a serial killer that was caught. And, uh, but, you know, I've always taught him the safest place you can be is in the will of God. That's where his goodness is, right? And so you have to make sure that you're in the will of God. And they were. And then like Ezra saying, I couldn't ask for protection from the king. You already bragged on God, you know? They, he would protect us. He's good. So then they had to fast and pray, you know, for protection as they traveled because obviously the king was worried about it. And then the final scripture is Nehemiah 2.8. A letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. So in order to fulfill, you got to hear this, your destiny and calling, you must have God's goodness. It's that simple. It's a requirement. So ask Him to overwhelm you with it. Ask Him to put His goodness right in your face. Ask Him to place His good hand upon your life so that you can fulfill the reason you were born. Be a person of prayer. Seek the Lord and seek His glorious goodness. Isn't that neat? All right, so that ends an era of the hub, and uh, not, you know, at least in this the location. The season of the hub is transitioning, um, and I'll, we'll get into some practical stuff later, but uh, I definitely want to pray on the goodness of the Lord and all that, but do y'all have anything to add before we finish up? Okay. All right, well, Father, we thank you for this season. Uh, season is everywhere. And uh, we thank you for the ability to discern the shifting of the season. And uh, again, like I prayed before we even start our worship, may we discern the season we're in. In fact, I was looking at my prophetic word, Father, in the closet that Kathy gave us, and she had them printed uh, uh, out and stuff, and it said I had the ability to discern the season. 
And so, Father, I pray that all of us are able to do that, like the sons of Issachar. They knew the signs of the times, and also, like we got Friday, they had the ability to know what to do. They had the revelation, they got that, and then they had the wisdom to execute it. So, Father, we want to live in that reality. We don't want to view what all is going on and become fearful or to forget your goodness. Instead, we want to get a revelation, the wisdom to execute your will, recognize the season, the shift that needs to occur, and also we pray for supernatural energy, both mentally, emotionally, and physically for those seasons. Because usually the transition, there's a lot of change going on, a lot of extra work. So we ask you for that supernatural energy, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, lives in us and infuses our physical body with supernatural energy, the same energy that raised him from the dead. And Father, we thank you for, gosh, 11 years. We thank you for that, different places you've had us, and we feel like we're going back to our roots. So we celebrate your abundant provision these last years of having a, a physical location. We thank you for the worship that poured out of Gigi and Ken, me and Christy and Corey and all the people, the miracles that you did, the wonderful things that you uh, did in spite of us. We thank you for that. And we look forward to the next thing that you want to do. So we let go with joy and fully and completely this past season so that we can embrace the new. And I pray that anyone under the sound of my voice that they feel like, man, it's been a tough time and they feel that pulling to go into something new but it's hard for them to let go of the old. I'm here to tell you, let go of the old as quick as possible because I guarantee you the new is where it's at. And so I ask you give them the power to do that. Father, we wanna give our tithes and offerings to you this morning. Uh, we honor Jesus as the one true Lord and this is a pledge of allegiance to you, not the God of mammon. So, Father, we give our tithes and offerings to you. And we also ask for witty ideas and innovative ideas for where you want your funds to go in this next season with very little overhead. So, Father, I pray that you help us take and storm the marketplace to be relevant in all aspects of it a voice relevant in our products or services, relevant in our influence, and we ask for an increase of the supernatural in healings, deliverances, uh, the presence of God encounters so that we can go into the marketplace, both business and political, and have a tangible, practical benefit to our community, our county, our state, and our nation. In Jesus' name, amen.